Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, the show that brings journalists together to discuss the week's media affairs. Coming to you from 2SER on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation and right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Marilyn Hetrilees. Immigration Minister Peter Dutton has a rough week after asking reporters to delete a rather unflattering photo of him. The Wall Street Journal offers a questionable advertisement that has been slammed by Kim Kardashian. And we take a look at the soft, whispered melodies of BuzzFeed's peculiar ASMR news experiment and the media's recent love affair with Facebook Live. Joining me in the studio is Alex McKinnon, politics and opinion editor at Junkie. Hi. Hi. Uh, Also in the studio is Lisa Vicenton, journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald. Hi, Lisa. Hi. And joining us on the line from Melbourne, George Denikian, former SBS, Nine Network and Channel 10 news presenter. Hi, George. Hi, guys. How are you? Well, thanks. If you'd like to get in touch with us via Twitter, you can find us at 4th Estate AU, all letters, no numbers. Now, there's no doubt you'll have seen some version of that menacing photo of Peter Dutton by now. <laughs> a photo he asked reporters to delete from social media has gone viral and become a hilarious meme. The original photo was of Dutton at a press conference on Tuesday, his face half obscured by shadow, taken by a Fairfax photographer and tweeted by Fairfax's political reporter, Stephanie Peatling. Dutton staffers were not very happy with the photo at all and requested, Ste- requested Stephanie take it down off Twitter, which she did, but on the condition that she could share it why it was being removed. After being taken down, the photo has gone global, with versions including the minister as Hannibal Lecter, the band Queen, Beyonce, Peter Dutton hiding under your bed, standing amid flames, popping out of the gutter, and more. Now, Alex, what was worse? Peter Dutton's staff asking a journalist to delete the photo from social media, or letting the journalist state why they asked for it to be deleted, that they asked for it to be deleted? I'm trying to think of a way in which Peter Dutton and his office could have handled that situation worse, and I'm really struggling. Um... Peter Dutton and the Immigration Department have a reputation for secrecy when it comes to serious news matters about uh, conditions on Nauru and Manus Island and uh, boats arriving and all that sort of thing. But this seemed like, uh, even for them, it was uh, a desire for secrecy that kind of trumped their desire for common sense. George, do politicians have the right to ask journalists to censor content? Do they have a right? Do you think they have a right to? No, 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 no. I think this, uh, this uh, reach that politicians uh, think they have um, doesn't help anybody. It's, a, it's about creating this, uh, uh, you know, this family. We're all in this together. When it, when it should be understood that there are two professional platforms, the journalists are there to uh, do whatever they're required to do for their, either their, their, their working platform, whether it be newsprint, whether it be radio, whether it be television. And um, I, I tend to agree with Alex. I, I, if I had thought, uh, let's see how much more exposure I can get for this particular photo. That's the only way I could have, um, you know, spread the word, complained and asked someone to take it down. That was like saying to someone, let's light the fuse and make this more popular than Game of Thrones. Well, the original photo was snapped while Dutton was holding a press conference about the second asylum seeker to set themselves on fire recently on Nauru, which the minister said was not his fault, but the fault of refugee advocates. Um, Lisa, what does the fact this photo has gone viral say about the relationship between reporters and politicians in the digital age? Um, Well, look, I think it's firstly uh, important to point out that the relationship between the minister's department 
And the media is, uh, well, extremely fractured at the moment. I mean, even today there's been a report of Peter Dutton addressing the media again and giving them a dressing down and blaming them um, and their coverage of the asylum seeker issue for, uh, I guess, what was his, his words were, prolonging the difficulty of these people that are in detention, which um, is, is sort of absurd on every level that you would blame the media for for, for doing their jobs and reporting on the issue Um as having sort of some kind of effect on um, their their mental state, when in fact is they're being you know held on an offshore island um, with with um, with very little human rights. Um, oh, what I would say though is Stephanie Peatling, she she didn't necessarily have to. She, she's done them a favour by taking it down, but the moment they've requested her to do so. They know that whether they then follow up that request with asking her not to report why she's taken it down, she's automatically going to do that. No journalist is going to censor their content and not explain why it's been removed. And would you have done the same? Would you have taken down the photo? Um, it's it's a really tough one uh, in the moment um, because you are aware that your colleagues have to maintain some kind of relationship with the minister's department, and you don't want to do something to savage to uh, sabotage that. Um, so I think she probably yeah she she made the the call that she felt was right in the moment, but uh, there were always going to be ramifications, and she knew that you know this was always going to reflect badly on the on the minister and his team. Hmm. Alex, do you think there'd be less attention on the photo if Dutton staff hadn't demanded it be deleted? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's called the Streisand effect, um, <laughs> based on a, a similar thing where Barbara, Barbara Streisand requested that a photo been, be taken down. Um, it happened to Beyonce too at the Super Bowl, I think. And that kind of thing is like a red rag to a bull to a lot of people. Um, I saw it being shared specifically uh, with a tagline like, Peter Dutton really doesn't want you to look at this photo, so please note the photo this is the one that he doesn't want you to, to look at. So please share it with everyone so everyone knows that this is the photo he doesn't want you to look at. Um, yeah, it was, it was a light moment in a pretty depressing subject area, really. Hmm. And, um, George, how big an impact do you think photos of politicians play during an election? Well, they, they can be uh, key at critical times. Um, it depends where they're taken, uh, at what time of the, uh, the campaign uh, we're talking about. Uh, and of course, uh, when election day is, uh, w- will it continue to uh, to uh, make hay up until election time? Most probably, because it's uh, you know there are enough people out there who have their political bent and their and uh, they're going to play the card as often as they can. But uh, I, I agree with Alex. It's, it's it was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Uh, forget about uh, spin spin masters. The the people that uh, that uh, put their hand up and uh, actually reached out to the to the media and said to take it down uh, should really have a long, hard look at themselves, uh, if I may quote uh, some of our sporting uh, reporters uh, in some of their headlines um, they've made a massive mistake and uh, it's going to come back and haunt them for quite some time You're listening to Fourth Estate You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilles, and I'm speaking to Alex McKinnon, Lisa Vicenten and George Denikian. Here on Fourth Estate, we didn't think we'd be talking about Kim Kardashian, but today we are That's because Kim K has taken aim at the Wall Street Journal for a full-page ad they published that denied there was ever an Armenian genocide at the hands of the Ottoman Empire. The ad for Fact Check Armenia, a Turkish propaganda group, shows the Turkish flag with the headline Truth Equals Peace alongside a website address. On the site's homepage is a statement reading, False, the events of of 1915 constitute a clear-cut genocide against the Armenian people. Between 1915 and 1916, it's estimated that 1.5 million Armenians living in the Ottoman Empire were killed by the Turkish government. 
Turkey refuses to recognise the killings as genocide, as does Australia. Kardashian, who is of Armenian heritage, wrote on her blog that the paper is profiting from genocide and that it was a reckless, upsetting and dangerous move for a trusted publication like the Wall Street Journal to publish it. George Janikian, what do you make of this decision by the Wall Street Journal? Well, well uh, first up, I've got to acknowledge that uh, my heritage is Armenian, Armenian-Greek. Uh, you don't have a name like Donikian um, and, and not to accept that uh, there's a, an Armenian component uh, built in there. My forebears on my father's side had to flee Ottoman Turkey, and uh, many of them didn't make it. Uh, and in fact, my great-grandmother, who used to uh, tell us wonderful stories uh, when I was very, very young, um, uh, understood uh, what that long march out of Ottoman Turkey uh, was and, and how it affected our family. Um, for some uh, journal of the size and magnitude of the Wall Street Journal, to actually take money uh, and, um, you know, put an advertisement out there, tells you how far this uh, this business uh, of uh, newsprint is sinking. Um, there, I would never have imagined uh, and this, uh, this journal, this journal that's done so, so much fabulous work for a long, long time, uh, debase itself and take money at, uh, in, 19, uh, sorry, in 2016. Um, and then deny that something that so many neutrals not only knew happened, but have recorded it. And if you look, you don't have to look too widely. And as for Kim Kardashian, well, it's not that surprising because the whole family were in Yerevan in Armenia only two or three months ago. And uh, they were there as part of the preparations for the 101st Armenian uh, uh, genocide commemorations. So uh, uh, good on her for saying uh, what she said. Um, uh, I'm ashamed of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I'm uh, surprisingly, I never imagined I was going to say I'm. I'm very impressed with with the Cardassians. But uh, there you go. It's an extraordinary thing that in 2016 we can still be arguing over uh, something as big as it was. 1.5 million Armenians lost their lives. 750,000 Pontic Greeks and about 550,000 Assyrians. So it wasn't just the one uh, race that uh, were exterminated or uh, they tried to exterminate, but uh, two others as well. Alex, do you agree? Is this a sign of print media becoming more desperate? And when should a paper refuse an advertiser? Um, it, it could be a sign that uh, print media is becoming more desperate for, ad, for advertising dollars. Um, I think it's also in part uh, a testament to how effective the Turkish government has been in stymieing uh, recognition of the Armenian genocide. Uh, the Australian government, for example, uh, officially doesn't recognise the Armenian genocide, even though a lot of our most senior politicians, Malcolm Turnbull, Tony Abbott, Joe Hockey, who is of Armenian descent, mm. uh, have pushed personally very hard for uh, recognition of, of the genocide. Uh, part of it is because Turkey um, controls access to, to Gallipoli. Um, April 24th uh, is uh, marked as Red Sunday, as the start of the Armenian genocide. Um, and April 25th, obviously, is Anzac Day. Uh, last year was uh, a major milestone for both those events and obviously if the Australian government came out and commemorated Red Sunday as the start of the Armenian genocide uh, no one would have been able to go to Gallipoli uh, the, the the next day um, so the Wall Street Journal obviously uh, I think made a huge mistake in, in taking money and, and putting that ad up but I think uh, looking at them in isolation is, is probably the wrong way to go about it
What do you think, Lisa? Should a newspaper's advertising necessarily reflect its editorial values? Um, absolutely not. I think they should be be independent. But you should you should there should never be advertising that seeks to um, project a certain view of um, a contested bit of history. You'd never see um, advertising. I would I would hope you would never see advertising mm. projecting um, a certain position on the situation in Israel and Palestine, for example. Um, and and the same situation goes here. George, we talk about church and state in journalism, that is, sales not affecting editorial. But is this a question of editorial decision-making being applied to sales, do you think? Uh, I think it's changing and evolving. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, the business uh, of media today is being assaulted by uh, a great revolution in technology. And there are enormous pressures being put on broadcasters, on uh, journalists uh, and uh, radio broad, uh, uh, and telecasters, and and uh, there are shifting views. Uh, there are uh, uh, and, and different sorts of engagement now that I never would have imagined uh, 30, 40 years ago when I started in in, in radio and television. Um, but just goes to show you uh, how radical and how uh, how big a, um, a revolution we're actually experiencing. Uh, things that we imagined were set in stone are, uh, are shifting very, very quickly. And I'd be very keen and interested to hear what both uh, my other colleagues uh, are going to say about this particular uh, subject. I think it'd be incredibly inter- interesting to know what the Wall Street Journal um, received in terms of payment for that right. advert, whether we're talking about... I don't about... think they're going to tell us. No, no. Us. But it, it'd be nice to know whether it was a substantially sort of sizable sum or or whether it was just sort of something that really they could have rejected and gone without. No, I think it's a, a huge amount of money. I think it's a huge amount of money. Whatever uh, whatever we've, we say about the Wall Street Journal, it, it would have taken a great deal of money to appear as it did. Mm. Uh, it is a full page, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, full page. Yeah. Uh, full page in the Wall Street Journal, even today, would cost you an enormous amount mm-hmm. of money. But it goes back to what Alex touched on. The, uh, the, the modern Turkish state is uh, very good at uh, not not so much rewriting history but um, but uh, but uh, sending out messages uh, about uh, subject matter that they feel should not be touched and should not be uh, uh, mentioned and his point about uh, Gallipoli is is uh, right on the money mm. uh, the, you know the Australian government spent close to uh, depending uh, on, on which source you take 200 million uh, Australian dollars or half a billion dollars for the commemorations of, uh, at Gallipoli last year, uh, I would have thought they would have been seriously in peril had, had they you know, stood up and said, we're going to recognise the Armenian genocide on the 100th uh, Gallipoli. No, 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 it wouldn't have worked. There would have been enormous controversy and I'm sure that we would have been shut off from Lone Pine and, and other venues. So why do you think it is that so few of us understand and recognise um, the Armenian genocide? Look, uh, it, <laughs> Well, it's about influence. It's about power. It's about um, the ability to wield that 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 influence. And the uh, Turkish uh, modern Turkish state has been um, very good at doing it. Uh, Erdogan at the moment is going through enormous pressures. He's being assailed by different uh, you know foes and critics, and he's he's even inventing <laughs> uh, uh, you know enemies to to make himself feel uh, uh, like he's in a you know the, the position of strength. Uh, He's got enough uh, demons uh, going on around him, and he's just very happy to deflect wherever he can. What do they say? Deny, deny, deflect. 
So that's what they're doing. Mm. Um, Alex, do you think advertising teams just don't have the expertise to deal with big political questions? Oh, perhaps. I mean, it, it would be a case-by-case thing. With something like this that's as big and as knotty and as complex uh, and which the average person might not have uh, a great understanding of, um, it could be something into which a, you know a salesperson could uh, very easily sort of wrong-foot themselves. Um, okay. with, with something like this especially, uh, it's, it's almost mind-boggling how effective the Turkish government is uh, at promoting its line. In, in 2008, when... Uh, Barack Obama, or in 2007 rather, when he was running for president, he one of his election promises was that, was that under his presidency, the US government would recognise the Armenian genocide. And in 2016, they still haven't. That kind of gives mm-hmm. you an idea of what you're dealing with. Yep. George? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's the enormity of the problem. And uh, there are people out there who uh, meant well. Uh, Joe Hockey was going to do it uh, when he stepped into office. And very quickly, he was pressured, and um, unfortunately, uh, nothing was done. And I put it to you that it won't happen for quite some time. Uh, whether whether we um, we accept it or whether we don't accept it, that this uh, particular thorn in the side of the Turkish modern state is going to you know uh, be there for quite some time. Uh, Lisa, what does it say that Kim Kardashian is the one to teach us about this? Well, in in many ways, she's probably, you know, one of the best spokespeople for this because she does have so many eyeballs on her all the time. She's managed to, I guess, grab an issue that um, Alex says is incredibly knotty um, and and that many people aren't across and sort of digest it and put it back out there um, to people who would otherwise never encounter it, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, well said. What do you think, Alex? I think that's exactly right. Um, uh, The sort of default... Uh, to snobbishness when it comes to the Kardashians is is a little bit uh, tiresome, in my opinion. And she has been doing uh, incredible work in this area for a really long time, her and her entire family. And finally, George, from your experience um, with media, do you think this is a sign that print media is becoming even more desperate? I, I, look, I, the thing that worries me, the thing that worries me is the template that um, print media has had to work with for quite a long time. Um, is uh, under an enormous assault. It's a very expensive platform, as is television, as is radio. And they all have to trim their sales because the business isn't and wasn't, uh, you know, isn't what it is uh, or has been for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, We had massive empires built in that time. Those massive empires now are feeling a pressure they've never imagined. And what fascinates me is that how slow they've been to react to the changes. Admittedly, some of the technology burst onto the scene even before the experts thought about it. So the pundits have been caught out, uh, and uh, I, we shouldn't be surprised there. But these these big, huge businesses and empires pay professionals to stay on site and and show them how to, to you know to keep evolving. Uh, but everyone's been caught out. Television is a very expensive way to do business. And you can't have, and I can remember when I was at Channel 9 in the grand old days when we were rating 50 and 60, you know, which is a, a number unbelievable today, uh, we had something in the vicinity of 12, 13 crews and uh, they would they'd be in their own, uh, you know, uh, hall. Uh, they'd be, we'd have two uh, helicopters on call at any given moment. 
Uh, we had stringers galore, you, you name it. It was as big and as powerful as you could imagine. There was even a sign in the Channel 9 newsroom at the time when we were number one. It was maintain the arrogance. So the hubris <laughs> and, and the energy was there from day one. Jesus. And I can remember uh, some of the challenges that I faced when I walked straight across from little old SBS to this powerful number one and walked in the door to meet Graham Kennedy and Brian Henderson and people of that stature, and how many of them were wonderful. And and, and quite a few um, couldn't understand what this little boy from uh, SBS across the road at Milson's Point was all about. <laughs> because I can remember creating a scene by saying to them at the time, that should be the lead story on our news tonight, and you've relegated it to about 20, position 20 in the bulletin. So we had some great fun fights. But it was a really interesting uh, time to see how a powerful news organisation did what it did. And we saw the creation of all those cottages around Channel 9, around Willoughby. And you had the 60 Minutes uh, crew, you had the, uh, the the Today crew, you had the Wide World of Sports crew, you had the, the, uh, the, uh, the Sports Sunday crew. And to see what 60 Minutes got up to recently and to see how quiet it's all gone, and I'm very keen to see how they're going to come back and spin this last effort they had in, in Lebanon. Mm. So... All these organisations are are under enormous pressure. I hope that there are a host of really good young people who are brave, strong and smart who can can refashion radio, newsprint and television because I think they all do. They all serve an enormous purpose. I've always thought television could take you there. Radio has this marvellous immediacy and you go anywhere with it. And yet newsprint was the one that gave you the full story. Yeah, with pictures and analysis. Television and radio can't necessarily do that in the same way. So for me, it was always about watching, listening and taking in what was going on around me. And to think that one is above the other, or I think they're all under assault and, uh, and I think all of them have to band together and we're going to see, I think, more of that with um, some of the merger deals that are being touted uh, you know, in the, in the sidelines at the moment. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilis, and I'm speaking to Alex McKinnon, Lisa Vizenton and George Denikian. A euphoric journey through the news. That's the way BuzzFeed has described their latest experiment called ASMR News Now, where the latest news is whispered to people via Facebook Live. Let's take a listen. Welcome to BuzzFeed's ASMR News Now, where we take you on a euphoric journey through the news. Let's take a look at our top headlines. First, legendary pop icon Prince is dead at 57. It is with profound sadness that I am confirming that the legendary, iconic performer Prince Rogers Nelson has died. Now, BuzzFeed has done um, four of these whispered broadcasts on Facebook Live so far. Um, The broadcasts have been described by one of the writers as an alternative to the sensory overload that comes with watching the news. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Alex, are you able to explain what it is? Uh, based on that alone, it feels like someone's going to kill me. <laughs> like someone is sneaking up from me from behind. Um, from what I understand, uh, this audio sensory uh, response, um, there's a certain 
there are certain kinds of people who really respond to this sort of thing. There are there are insanely popular videos on YouTube that are just hours and hours of, of paper crinkling or fingers tapping or someone <laughs> breathing. Mm, one's ten hours long, I think, of yeah, breathing and crinkling. Yeah, and so I guess this is uh, either a genuine attempt to tap into whatever makes that so popular or it's just a really good way to get people talking about what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. And do we know if BuzzFeed's version of ASMR actually works? I have no idea. Uh, it, if it's meant to be relaxing, it has the opposite effect on me. I, yeah, <laughs> yes. I get goosebumps when I listen to it. I've seen it, it, seen it described as a brain orgasm. That's supposed to be the, the theory behind this, and I can't think, of, can't think of anything worse, to be honest. What did you think of it, George? Um, it brought back, uh, you know, I almost channeled for a moment the naked news that came out of Canada for quite some time. And I almost, I, I'd almost, almost put the voice to one of the faces and, and uh, figures that uh, was, you know, uh, exhibiting the, the, the way to, to broadcast news a few years ago. Uh, amazing. And I, I tend to agree with both Lisa and with Alex. Uh, scary stuff. If I was to read, if I was to go back into the newsroom tomorrow and, and, uh, and read the news, I would do it very differently to the way I did it in 1980 the way I did it in 1990 and the way I did it in the early 2000s. You'd be whispering think, it now, George. I, sorry? <laughs> You'd be whispering it now. No, I wouldn't <laughs> be whispering it, but I, I think I'd make it infinitely more uh, conversational because I think at the end of the day, it's, a, it's, a, it's about an engagement between you and your audience. And that I've always thought the audience is one, whether they're listening to you or whether they're watching you or whether they're reading you. It's, it's a one-on-one, and I wouldn't have changed that. Uh, the, I'd, I'd cut back on the, uh, you know, the, the, pro, the projection that some of the broadcasters think they need to to create to uh, to elicit some some measure of gravitas. Uh, my my view is, male or female, you either have it or you don't. In other words, you either can engage because you understand the subject matter and you're happy to impart it, and the audience will either react or won't react. Lisa, so is this? I, I would do it very differently. Uh, Lisa, is this BuzzFeed at its core experimenting with bizarre stuff in the hope that it'll work? Who can and can't <laughs> experiment like this? Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, I think BuzzFeed are very good at this. And I, I think um, what Alex says is right, that it's not necessarily about whether or not this works. Um, it's it's basically about getting people talking about you. Um, I would certainly hope that the Sydney Morning Herald doesn't try something like this because I'd probably be in the firing line to, to as their <laughs> guinea pig. Um, but yeah, I think I think it is the new media companies that can get away with this and not the old legacy ones that are sort of transitioning across to new media. Alex, do you agree with George that traditional news reading is too loud or bombastic? Are we now conditioned to zone out? I mean, it can be. Uh, there's a really there's a tendency, especially with 24-hour news channels uh, where everything is a breaking event, everything is a you must drop everything and watch this um, even, and it's kind of in inverse proportion to how important something actually is um, and now that we have so much content just thrown at us all throughout the day on social media, on TV, on radio um, I think we've gotten really good at filtering out what uh, is actually important and what isn't um, and so taking uh, taking a breath, taking a moment to, to slow things down and actually engage with people instead of shouting at them is something that always cuts through. Well, that's it from us on Fourth Estate. Thanks to my guests, Alex McKinnon, Lisa Visenton and George Danikian. Don't forget you can subscribe to Fourth Estate on iTunes or SoundCloud or your podcast player of choice. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and at 2SCR.com. My name's Marilyn Hetrilles. You can catch us at the same time next week.